0: The S&P 500 closed at a record high overnight, while the session's gains were relatively mild, just 0.2%. The rise caps a 51% rally since March, and it erases all of the index's pandemic losses that started in February. The Nasdaq ventured further into record territory as well. It rose 0.7% to top 11,200. The Dow did not join in the rally. It fell a quarter percent. Here in Asia Pacific this morning, shares are mixed. Seoul is trading up nearly 1%, Sydney is flat, and Tokyo is in the red. Joining us now for a look beyond the numbers is Jack Koozie. He's director of the VFS Group, joining me live from Sydney. Good morning, Jack. How
1: are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm very well.
0: Good to hear. very happy
1: to be back. Good morning to you. Good morning, Singapore. I'm excited. So
0: am I. It's uh, quite remarkable what's happened. The S&P 500's rise, capping off the shortest bear market on record just one month. It's then taken five months for stocks to erase all their losses. And this has happened against a backdrop of economic contraction and continued uncertainty over the pandemic, job losses as well, of course. Now, what a lot of investors want to know is this, Jack. Where do we go from here? What's your take?
1: We go higher, Michelle. Um, we always go I think, higher. Yeah, we always go higher. We we grown higher from here. Let's just understand what markets do. Well, most major markets around the world is they go up over time. Uh, so let's just let's work out where we are right now. Sure, okay. we are in you know one of the worst bear markets we've ever seen. We are in the midst of a pandemic, and we are in the midst of you know global economies essentially shutting down. You know for a period of you know two months, but we are now in a reopening phase. We are reopening borders, although slowly. We do have rolling shutdowns, but you've got to think the data is only going to get better from here. TMI data is going to get better. GDP data is going to get better. Trade data is going to get better. You know, I look at TSA numbers in the US. They're rising every month. So we are in a reopening... Um, you know, reflationary uh, economic growth activity and the market will reflect that. So what are our headwinds that are in front of us right now? The only headwind that I can see for this market at this point in time is the November election. So that's, you know, a couple of months away. Mm-hmm. There's the stimulus plan between the Republicans and Democrats. They'll get a deal done. They'll meet somewhere in the middle. Um, And you've already seen President Trump in terms of the Republicans do some laser like using some presidential powers to make sure the economy is moving. We talk about the second wave. Well, you know, we are starting to see states like Florida and Arizona start to bring that under control and start to reopen. So that's only going to be good for economic activity. Then you have the single biggest driver, really, of economic activity in the world, in China, and they're in fifth year now, right? So, you know, they're looking at a target rate of, you know, five and a half, maybe 6% GDP towards the end of the year. So I think we grind higher here till November. The caveat is November because this election, I think we've talked about this a few times, is probably going to be the dirtiest, hardest-played election in US history, and the other thing that I worry about in terms of markets is how long will it take us to get a result? So with the postal vote system, mm. they're talking about five or six weeks before we know who, pres- uh, who the president of the United States, and still the largest economy in the world is, in a backdrop of you know, increasing tensions within that country. So we've just come out of earnings. They were okay. In fact, they were a pass mark. Yes, mm. we were coming out under a lower base, but I feel like with all the free money that's out there, the catch-up trades that are in and the money that's on the sidelines, mm. we grind higher and we grind growing to new highs. Okay, Jack, uh,
0: what in terms of outcomes and scenarios from November, the U.S. election, is going to be the biggest drag on the markets as you see it?
1: You mean who's going to win and what it's going to mean for the market? Is that what you're trying to say to Yeah, me? I Yeah, mean,
0: I'm trying to ask you which scenario you're anticipating that's going to have this big drag on the market
1: that yeah, could I have. Mean, if you yeah. ask, look, I don't think it's going to... I mean, when I say drag, I'm not talking, you know, 10 to 20% off. Right? Mm. Warren mm. Buffett says it very perfectly. He says, I've had eight presidents during my investing life, mm-hmm. four of them Republicans and four of them Democrats. And what has happened during that time is the market has gone up. So, you know, you know the market, well, we may perceive... A Biden victory is worrying because he's going to increase taxes on companies. That's mm-hmm. not going to help their balance sheets. I think the market will look through that, mm. you know, particularly with some of these mega cap tax stocks. If we talk about Trump, sorry, I just got people in the background screaming. If we talk about Trump uh, and and what's it, you know, the tension between China is, is where the market is looking at as a possible downside or pressure on the market. Well, you know, we've had four years of Trump and the markets have rallied. So. I just think we're going to see a lot of volatility going in that, and that's possibly a signal for clients or us to take some money off the table in anticipation of a 5 to 6% pullback before we go on. I mean, we all know that the S&P has done just about 10% for the last 90 years, and that's what we should look at when we're looking at as investors going forward.
0: All right, a potentially good piece of economic news from the U.S. also came out overnight. Uh, U.S. housing starts surged 23% in July. The biggest jump in four years, certainly much better than better and many analysts had expected. All right, I want to turn from that, uh, the U.S. picture to TikTok. Well, still part of the U.S. picture. The Trump administration has given China's bite dance 90 days to sell the popular social media apps, U.S. operations. Microsoft has been seen as the primary suitor, but it now turns out that another major tech company is reportedly in the mix oracle the financial times reporting oracle has held preliminary talks with ByteDance. dance it's also working with a group of investors that already hold a stake in the company jack i have a couple of questions for you about this first isn't oracle kind of an odd fit for tiktok i mean oracle it's more of a b2b company it doesn't normally deal with consumers what do you think
1: yeah i mean well oh. I was confused last week when I spoke to you about this. I'm even more confused now. Um, yeah, it's very odd. It's it's very odd. Uh, whether they're a fit, I mean, you know, when we look at Oracle, we talk about that old tech. Um, and then, you know, we obviously, we've seen the new tech that's come through in terms of the, the Facebook example. Michelle, I just don't see how, the, I just don't see this happening. I really don't. I don't see any US company, whether it's Oracle you know, Tesla, Mm. uh, Facebook, anyone Mm. taking uh, a position or taking that ownership of the U.S. partner of of ByteDance. It's a very odd one. Um, I think we're clutching at uh, straws now. Mm. I think, you know, we've got this 45 or this 90-day deadline that's coming up um, and they're scrambling for a deal here because if they don't, then they've got to make a tough decision now. You know, you've got to either say, we're going to ban TikTok in the U.S., we're going to cut off 800, well, you know, whatever, 100 million users, um, primarily young, from this app, or we're going to backflip on a decision around US data and client data, and we're going to set a precedent for the rest of the world around how we treat social media companies, you know, within foreign countries. I just can't see it happening. I was listening to uh, Secretary Mnuchin today on CNBC. He mm. was asked a comment. He, he couldn't make a comment on it, being, you know, where, where he is, but. I think we're clutching the straws. I think Microsoft might be getting a little bit um, frightened or, you know, having second thoughts. They're probably looking at the data. They don't know how they're going to transfer it. They don't know how they're going to deal with in terms of being a sandwich between the U.S. government and in a China-based company. Oracle just doesn't make sense for me. Um, It doesn't fit, like you said, and I am pricing now this deal of a TikTok, of of the U.S. TikTok arm being sold to an American company at around a 5% chance. That's Uh where I have it.
0: Okay, I'm going to explore this 5% chance of yours uh, because Oracle shares rose 2% overnight on the news, better than the overall market. And then there are reports that Twitter may make a bid as well. Uh, What do you think uh, the presence of several possible suitors, is that good news for a bite dance potentially pushing up the price even though there's a deadline on the sale being imposed by the U.S. government?
1: Yeah, sure. But I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine Trump and all his issues with Twitter allowing them, of all people, to buy the U.S. equivalent of TikTok. I mean, I've seen some weird things in this world, but that would be a very weird one. Look, the market mm. is folly sometimes, you know. Don't mm. forget, we do have a lot of retail money coming in. We do have a lot of flow, and there's a lot of algorithms that are working on, 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 on the basis of news. So, yes. um, you know, it's not necessarily just retail. You know, there are algorithms that are looking at news-driven events, and they're buying stock on the back of it. Honestly, and I could be wrong, but I wouldn't take much credence in, in, in what the stock price did. And mm. you know, I just go back to Oracle. Mm-hmm. You know, where it would fit and how Oracle would manage this type of business would be very difficult for a company and, you know, a little bit of a dinosaur of tech um, to do so. So, and Twitter, I mean, uh, you might as well just give it to, to the guys at Facebook or Jeff Bezos at Amazon. There's more likely they're, they're going to take it over than, than Twitter. I cannot see uh, the U.S. You know, that, that Trump kind of alliance within the U.S. State Department allowing Twitter to, to take that on.
0: Yeah, it is an absurd fit, isn't it? All right, let's talk about, we know we speak a lot about U.S.-China tensions on this show, but since, Jack, you're joining us from Sydney, I thought we'd take a look at China-Australian tensions instead. What do you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a talk about banning our wine or, uh, you know, in terms of a, a ratcheting up of that tension. I mean, we make the best wine in the world, Michelle. Uh, right? No arguments from me there. Yes. Exactly. And the Chinese are like any other country in the world. They have good taste and they want good wine. So I can't mm. see that happening. I think from our perspective, we may be feeling a little bit emboldened. And there are some genuine concerns we have as a government and as an Australian around, you know, what is happening in the Southeast China Sea and our, in our deal with, with China. We also, on the other side, have to understand that this is our biggest trading partner um, and they are a considerable part of our economy, not only in terms of the way we export, but I'm talking in terms of foreign direct investment. You know, you ask Australians, you know, how they feel about their property market. We love our property market. Mm -hmm. A lot of that has to do with foreign inflows, particularly from China the other one that we have to be very careful of is we're trying to restart our universities it's our third biggest industry here in the country education mm. again a lot of them are foreign students coming from china we're trying to set up some corridors here to get them in because that not only sells you know course packages and degrees but it you know it fills up restaurants it fills up apartments so you know our prime minister who i must commend has done a fantastic job during this whole crisis for us and has really risen you know we need to be we need to we need to run a fine line here between i 'm not going to say nationalism but you know patriot patriotism and economic growth but by no means that we you know need to fall in so Look, it's been an ongoing thing that's happened, particularly around, you know, the, the pandemic. Mm,
0: and questioning uh, but, the origins you know, we, of the pandemic. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. You know, we, we did that. But we need to be wary that this is our biggest training partner. We've had a very good relationship for the, with them for a long time. Mm-hmm. They are still, you know, in the South China Sea and our closest regional partner and closest military power. Um, and we've, they've been, we've had a very good relationship for a long time. And we would like to maintain that. And I know that the economic prosperity of Australians um, is somewhat dependent upon having a good relationship with China. So, again, this is geopolitics. This is what governments do. It's a fine line. But, you know, I'm wary of it escalating even further because the Chinese have been, you know, very um, – no problems in trying to cut off their nose despite their face if they need to. Uh, And and there's no reason why they won't do that going forward. So – an, an interesting, an interesting parlay between uh, Australian and Chinese, um, you know, politics in the last couple of months. No doubt about it.
0: All right, so there we are talking about cheap Australian wine sold on Chinese e-commerce sites like Taobao, JD.com that's prompted the Chinese government to take action to protect its domestic industry launching an anti-dumping probe into the imports. Okay, uh, Goldman Sachs has completed a deal with Malaysia. We move from Australia to Malaysia. Um so the Goldman Sachs completing the deal to settle the 1MDB scandal, the 3.9 billion US dollar agreement was announced in principle. It is now official. Goldman Sachs still faces potential legal action in the U.S. And it's interesting to note as well that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has sold off its entire stake in Goldman. So what do you make of this? Is Goldman Sachs ready to turn a new page on its history? And would you, Jack, buy the stock?
1: Yeah, so um, that deal is are interesting, do not know don't know too much about it but you're right it has been going on for a long time and it certainly was a black mark in uh, in you know a fine history for, for for goldman Sachs so I think an element of it is cash and an element of uh, they'll buy back assets that you know shouldn't have never been bought or, or spent on the banks are an interesting one in general Michelle and we've spoken about this, kind of on the show previously, mm-hmm. they're really a gauge of what's happening, you know, in the middle of the street. Warren Buffett's one is a very interesting one. He sold Goldman Sachs. He got rid of um, his Wells Fargo position, which he'd been holding for a long time. But in the same breath, he did increase his position in Bank of America. So he is still long that banking sector somewhat. And the Wells Fargo position was to buy um, a position in gold and the gold miner, which alludes my name. I think they're actually a value now, these U.S. banks. And, and there's a couple of reasons why I like them, particularly if you start to see a movement to, away from growth towards the value. I think the U.S. banks will be the first point of call for that. Their balance sheets are actually quite clean. We talk about loan loss provisions. We talk about, you know, Street and defaults within the U.S. We are starting to see improving data. We will see more defaults, and I think they'll come into the balance sheet in this quarter when they report. But they have a lot of cash on the sidelines. The one thing that the U.S. banks have done after the global financial crisis is they have been heavily regulated um, and they've really, really shored up their balance sheet as opposed to their European counterparts. So when we talk about this crisis, you know, it's not the banks that are at fault at this crisis. It's probably the banks that will save us during this crisis because their balance sheet's so good. I believe they've got enough, more than enough cash to um, to to account for these loan loss provisions, particularly in the US. And I actually think you're going to see better and better margins and better numbers out of them going in fourth quarter this year, first quarter next year. So I actually see some considerable value around that, Mm. particularly around the Goldman Sachs names, the Bank of America names, the retail banks maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, their reports were very good in terms of mergers and acquisitions, and there's always a lot of cheap money around. So I don't mind them as a bit of a value play going forward for a, you know, first, like I said, last quarter this year, Mm. first quarter 2021.
0: All right. We're going to leave it there, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Good luck to everybody. Stay safe out there. And thank you for having me on the show.
0: Can't wait to speak again. Jack Cousy, director of the VFS Group, joining us live from Sydney. The Straits Times Index currently trading at 2,562, down 0.02 of a percent. Before acting on the information on Money FM.